The Bible describes that the last day of world history will come to a climatic shaking of the heavens and the earth. Have you ever considered that this world-shaking event is foreshadowed in every moment that God works to deliver you from trials and testings? Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is The Bread of Life, a ministry of the International Outreach Church Partnership Evangelism. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about how we're reaching lost people around the world by raising up evangelists in every place. Or go to breadoflifeboise.org to learn about our missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho. Now to God's Word. We are in the last four verses of the book of Haggai and the promise of God to shake the heavens and the earth one last time. But we begin with Psalm 18 and an understanding that God is always shaking things up when he comes to the rescue of his children. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is an account that David is giving, and really, I think you should understand it as this long psalm is David's surveying of the course of his whole life. Through all the challenges that he's faced, through all the difficulties he's faced, when he's been able to deal with the enemies of the surrounding nations that have come upon him and all the things that have happened to him, David is describing all the intrigues that he faced within his own kingdom, all the challenges against his rule, prior to him rising in rule, all the challenges he faced was, for example, King Saul sought to destroy him. And it's quite a long story of all the things that David went through. David is surveying it all, and David is describing, in a sense, what God was doing on his behalf and how God was moving himself to rescue him and deliver him in these situations. And so David sees in all these deliverances something of the cosmic reality that lies behind all of his personal points of deliverance. I was years ago driving through a barren stretch of land in my car and I was discouraged. I had had a number of individuals that seemed to have allied themselves against me. They were saying things that were untrue about me. I perceived that they were trying to bring significant harm to me, and it was profoundly discouraging. I had told my uncle about it a couple days before and asked him to pray for me, and on this occasion, I got a phone call in my car from my uncle. He says, hey, listen, now, Joel, I, I want to read to you Psalm 18. And I want you to see what God did for David, and I want you to understand how God works when he reacts to our needs and how God works when he comes to help us when we're under assault. Psalm 18, verses 6 through 19. David writes this, In my distress I called upon the Lord. I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him even to his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundation of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, a devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the sky. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. 
He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightning in abundance. He vanquished them. Then the channels of the seas were seen, and the foundations of the world were uncovered at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, from those who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. David is delivered from an attacking bear that's come upon his flock as a young child. David is delivered from a lion that comes upon the flock as a young child or as a young boy as well. David is delivered from the giant Goliath as he faces off against that great power and the Philistines that gather around him. David is delivered from King Saul who pursued him and chased him and sought to bring about his destruction. David is later on delivered from a rebellious son who leads a rebellion and seeks to overthrow his own kingdom. I'm sure David knew of other times when God had protected him and watched over him. In all these events, David says that there was this cosmic upheaval that was taking place behind the scene in which God rose up to defend and watch over him and provide for him and protect him. So after reading this, my uncle began to narrate what it meant. So he says, okay, Jolie, I want you to listen to me now. God sees what you're up against, and he doesn't like it. And he rises up to watch over you with power, and he's like an angry bear protecting his young, and fire is coming out of his mouth, and smoke is blowing out of his nostrils, and he's raising up, burning up, filled with wrath, and the deep waters of the sea are churning in his anger, and he's growling out, not with my jolly, you don't. <laughs> and I'm laughing with tears in my eyes at the thought. The great, zealous, jealous power of God prevailing on our behalf because he loves us and he delights in us. And he comes to protect us and keep us. God moves heaven and earth for the sake of his children. How encouraging is that? He shakes things up all the time. But here in this passage, Haggai is not directing the eyes into the past or even into the challenges of the present so much as he's calling them to look to a far off future, something ultimate that God is going to do, some great work that God is going to do. So I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel had been led away into captivity, so Daniel and Zerubbabel may have crossed paths at some point in time. Daniel spent his adult life in ministry working under the king of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and then also working for King Darius, who was the king of the Persian king that took over after that. Daniel was a wise man and a counselor among these men, and Daniel was also a prophet of God. In chapter 2 of Daniel, the story is told that King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and it was quite upsetting to him. And he took all of his wise men. He gathered all his wise men to him and said, listen, I have this dream and I want you to tell me what the dream means. But here's how it's going to work. First, you're going to tell me what the dream was. You tell me what the dream was. And then you tell me what the dream means. And if you can't tell me what the dream was, I'm going to kill you all. And of course, the wise men are distressed at this arrangement that the king has set up. And so they don't know what to do. The word comes to Daniel, who is one of the young men who's probably happy at that time that he's finally been recognized as a wise man in the court of all of Babylon, and now this news comes to him, and well, he, he goes to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he tells him, listen, this is impossible. It's not within man to tell you what you dreamt about, but it is possible with my God, the God most high, because he knows the secrets of all men. He knows all secret things. You just give me a, a little time to pray, and he'll reveal it to me. 
The king gives him a little bit of time, and God reveals the dream of the king to Daniel. Daniel goes back and gives the king the dream, and he gives him the meaning of the dream. In the dream, the king saw a great statue that rose up over all the earth with a head of gold and a chest of silver and with thighs and belly of bronze and with legs of iron and feet of iron mixed with clay. And he then interpreted for the king, saying, this head represents your empire. You are the head of gold, which is, like I said, interesting. As I told you, Herodotus saw that Babylon was just littered with gold. And then later on, and Daniel will demonstrate this again in Daniel, I believe it's chapter 8, that the, the chest of silver is a reference to the Medo-Persian Empire that comes in in succession after the Babylonian Empire. The bronze, the thigh and belly of bronze, is the Greek Empire. And we're, by the way, told that Alexander the Great's army were clad in bronze chest and bronze helmet and even bronze swords as they went about bringing about their victory. The legs of iron are the Roman government, and the feet of a mixture of iron and clay represents a mixture of the ongoing legacy of the Roman world that's going on to this day. And Daniel reports then, in the dream, what the king saw was a stone that has been cut out, not with human hands, and it falls upon the feet of the statue. That's the point at which it brings its coming, and it falls upon that feet, that ongoing extended expression of this Roman Empire, and as a result, the whole statue crumbles to powder and is blown away. The whole statue crumbles to powder, the wind blows it, and it disappears. And then in the dream, the stone expands to a great mountain that fills the whole earth. Daniel finalizes this recounting by saying these words to the king. Daniel 2, 44 and 45. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of a mountain without hands, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. You can be certain that was your dream, wasn't it? Yeah. You can also be certain that the interpretation God has given me is sure. That great mountain is the kingdom of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who will one day come with a great breaking up of all world powers and then will rule upon the earth. The Lord Jesus himself referenced this passage to some extent when he was speaking to the leaders in Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 21. There Jesus said, have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And that's in 21, verse 42. And this, then verse 44, he says this to the leaders in Jerusalem. And after this, they seek to destroy him. He says, whoever falls in the stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Just like he's going to do with all these nations and all these powers. In our passage here, God says to Zerubbabel, now we're back in Haggai chapter 2. He says, I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. Now, we might expect that Haggai would have said, I'll overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. But God is revealing that in the end times, there will be a one world order of nations or kingdoms under the domain of the Antichrist. And you, you can read about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And then will follow quickly a complete disintegration of his rule as the Messiah 
of God comes and sets up his visible kingdom upon the earth. Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 gives us a a picture of the moment in heaven when the Messiah begins to move down from the heavens when Christ returns in order to shake the earth in order to bring about his kingdom. And at that point in time, the heaven is shaking with the rumbling of praise, the praise of the redeemed and the angels. And it says this, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven crying out, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Then you read Revelation chapter 18 and Revelation chapter 19 and it'll describe the events that take place in the time when Christ returns and you'll see that they're cataclysmic events. as a shaking that takes place and when Christ overturns all the powers of this world and sets up his earthly reign upon the earth and it's awesome and it stands in the foreground of all of our lives. Zerubbabel, you keep working, you keep laboring among this little group of people that I've sent you to and you just know in the foreground ahead of you, not just what I've done in the past, not how I'm moving the present, ahead of you, is one great final shaking. Well, it's time to sign off for today, but I hope you'll join us in our next broadcast at the Bread of Life radio program. This ministry is brought to you by the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism. You can learn more about the work we're doing all around the world by going to traincpe.org. This is also the shared ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. You can learn more about our church fellowship by going to our webpage, breadoflifeboise.org. Our fellowship is open to all of you. We gather for worship at 11 a.m. on Sundays in the Old White Church in the Warm Springs area of Boise. If you sense a longing for new life, Come visit us and see if the environment of eternal life is not evident among us. If you have that life in Christ Jesus and want it to be the center of your worship, I think you'll find that this is at the heart of our cross-generational fellowship. Wherever you worship this Sunday, we pray those priorities will more and more shape the local churches of our region. For now, our time is up. Until we meet around the bread of life, may God bless you.